Good morning, everybody. You sing well. It's lovely to be back, and it's always a tremendous memory I have that Milford's hymn singing was fantastic. Now, well done, you're keeping at it. <laughs> okay, if you have your Bibles with you, and you'd like to join with me, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 12 to the end of the chapter. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Johnny, let's just pray for Hugo before he comes to speak. Father God, we thank you for Hugo. We thank you for your gifts to him. And we pray, Lord, that you will pour your Holy Spirit upon him and help him to bring your words to us. And we pray that we will be doers of what we hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. Could we put the scripture up? Is that all right? Just leave it up behind me. That way people can keep checking whether I'm talking rubbish or not. Lovely to be with you again. My daughter uh, has a... Uh, an interesting history with driving. She was probably the brightest of my three children, but she became 17 on February the 17th, 2020, which was quite inconvenient uh, due to the pandemic. So over the course of the last year and a half, she has been, um, had her driving test changed quite regularly. She eventually got a driving test in October 2020 and we all just kind of relaxed and thought, well, she'll pass. And guess what? She didn't. Somehow, somewhere in the, the complications of driving around Farnborough, she did one thing that meant that she failed. So we then instantly went back on the website. I don't know if you know anything about this. Some of you look like you might have been driving a while, so you don't know much about this. 
Um, but you go back on the website, the government website, and because of the pandemic, of course, everything is total chaos. You put in uh, the right driver number and all the rest, and they say there are no driving tests anywhere ever. <laughs> Literally. I mean, that's what they do. So uh, we keep on looking and searching and finding apps and various things, and eventually we get one for April 2021. That's the next one that can be found. So April 2021 doesn't sound too bad. Well, actually, she got one in January 1st after October, and then, of course, that was right in the middle of the lockdown, wasn't it? Yes. So then it got put back to April, and the day after the April date was the day when the lockdown lifted on driving tests. <laughs> so we then got another email saying, this has now been put back to September 2021. And so... We went off to Farnborough again, and she took her test in September 2021, in, in the 3rd of September. And she, uh, one of the interesting things about driving tests is it doesn't matter what happens. If you fail, you always blame the tester. It's one of the rules of life. Anyway, she came back, and she had been failed for not looking over her shoulder enough. By this point, of course, she's been driving forever. So I don't know about you, but when you look over your shoulder to see if something's coming, you don't, once you're, if you've been driving for a short amount of time, you go, oh, uh. But actually, when you've been driving forever, you just look in the mirror, don't you? Anyway, it wasn't obvious she'd been looking over her shoulder, and she was failed again. Distraught. Absolute disaster. So I did a very silly thing, which was to go not just onto Farnborough and Guildford and Basingstoke, but to go anywhere in the country there might be <laughs> a test. And we discovered there was a test in Lee on Solent, <laughs> available at the end of September. The only problem was her driving instructor wouldn't go there because it was out of their area. So I had to get one of our cars to the point where it was ready. So I did this, went into the Toyota garage. It had to have no recalls, all sorts of things like this. Had to have an extra mirror and all sorts of other clever stuff. And we then went twice down to Leon Solent and drove around. We watched lots of videos about how you're meant to pass the test if you go to Leon Solent. Most people in the human race have never been to Leon Solent. But there are still quite a lot of cars there, I've noticed, because Ferrum has ri ridiculous ways of running round in... Well, they've got roundabouts where the, all the cars go through the middle of the roundabout, just to be confusing. Anyway, we did that twice, and I didn't think that was enough, and nor did Liberty. But we eventually went down uh, at the end of September to have the test. Drove around a little bit and uh, went into this testing area, uh, at which uh, we backed into this little parking space. She did it. She did it perfectly. And we waited for the testing person to come. The testing person came, read out her name, and they got in the car and drove away. There were a, a, a row of about 10 different cars that were all being tested at the same time which then left me with this problem that I was standing in this car park, because you couldn't go inside because it's pandemic and all the rest, with all the instructors. So they, I then was a parent and among instructors, which was an odd thing. And they said, what are you doing here? And I explained the story. And they said, oh, that won't work. Because if you don't know the area, you haven't got a chance. And they went on to say, uh, that, that, you know, you should have been in touch with one of us. And I then said, well, if, can I get in touch with you for next time? <laughs> and they said, no, we're too busy, it's all chaos. 
And uh, they then explained that if you fail, you come straight back. So you can't go away. You have to just wait. It can take up to an hour, but you just have to wait. And the first car come back, comes back, and they have failed. And the second car comes back, and they have failed. And the third car comes back, and they have failed. And I'm quite hopeful, because Liberty hasn't come back yet. And eventually, uh, we get to the point where Liberty drives into this testing area, and clearly the, the test lady who is running her thing wants her to back into the parking space in front of all the instructors who are standing there. And I'm sitting there, and they say, don't look at me. <laughs> Just look down. Don't look. So I'm not looking and looking down. And I know what happens, which is that Liberty drives back into her parking space and misses it, then drives forward, and then drives back into her parking space and misses it, at which all the instructors around me say, I'm sorry, but your daughter has failed. Then Liberty gets out of the car, walks around the car, gets back in the car, drives out of the parking space, drives back into it perfectly. At which the driving instructors around me say, go over to the window and listen to the criticism and get organized to plan another test. So I go around to the window, at which the driving lady, who's the testing lady, says, you need to know that your daughter has passed by the skin of her teeth. And I have been praying, I'm sure you're aware of this, I have been praying for grace. Isn't that what you pray in those moments? I mean, I've been praying that, the problem is that we all know that we all don't drive perfectly. Isn't that true? I mean, some of you probably do, but um, <laughs> nobody drives perfectly. So what you need is grace. You need somebody to sit there and say, they're good enough. After all, I'm about to pass you. This driving test person, they have to pass you to drive for 70 years. So it's quite a big responsibility, isn't it, really? And if they look at you and they think, yeah, they're OK, then they pass you. And if they look at you and go, no, they're not OK, then they don't. They choose which things to notice and which things not to notice. Isn't that the way life is? Because that's how judgment is made, isn't it? That's why a throne is an important thing. Because this lady was on the throne right then for liberty. So what she needed was not someone who would pick up every poor thing that went wrong, but the person who would go, you did that wrong, but you need grace. And I was sitting there going, yes, grace! Thank you, God! I don't have to keep driving around in circles in this. Anyway, you might not have thought like that, but I think I, I had prayed about this at a ridiculous level. And I mean, there are problems happening all over the world, including climate change and various other things, but this was a focus of prayer for me. And um, so anyway, we eventually drive away and I say, Liberty, before you and I, we prayed for grace and you got grace. And she said, no. She said, well, yes, really, but no, not really. And I said, why? So we parked the car and she said, I need to ring my instructor back in Farnborough. So she rang the instructor back in Farnborough and said, thank you. And I said, what's going on here? She said, thank you, you told me that you can get things wrong in backing into a parking space and then say, I haven't finished. You can then check it and get out of the car and walk around it if you want to. You can check again and again and again. And if you don't say, I haven't finished, you haven't finished and therefore you can appeal for grace. Yes, but... 
You don't have to get it right first time as long as you get it right without driving into anybody and you're observant all the time. She, she said, I knew that that's what I had to do. I had to keep saying I haven't finished until we were in the right spot. So you're sitting there going, Hugo, was this grace or was this not grace? Is your daughter right or are you right? I'm pretty sure it was grace. I just want you to know that because every instructor in that place went, you failed. One chance, fail, and then you don't get a second chance. She got two chances to get it wrong. That must be grace. So we're discussing this. And then I realized something which is really important about whether when grace has been poured out, and that is that once grace has been poured out, it's done. She doesn't have to argue about the detail. It's done. Hurrah! Now, what's important about this story? I'll tell you what's important about this story, and it relates to this passage. It really does. Um, and that is that if you do not understand the rules of grace, you will never obtain grace. There are rules to grace. You say, no, no, rules aren't in grace. Well, yes, there are. There are some rules in grace. There are some reasons for grace, maybe a better way of putting it. And this passage, if you notice, says we have an advocate in heaven. We have Jesus who's gone into heaven. We have Jesus who's died for us on the cross. We have God who's become a human being and lived on earth and gone into heaven. And when you, if you want grace, you have to appropriate it on that basis. That's how you get it. You can't just say, well, I'm expecting grace. You actually have to appropriate on the... And then, you, then the passage goes on to say, and you need to understand, God understands how difficult being a human being is. He's been one. He understands. He's not unaware of how complicated it all is for us. So, it doesn't actually say so. It says, therefore. Now, there's a problem for preachers. Do you know the word, Therefore. Preachers all over the UK and most of America and in Australia and various other places love the word therefore. And that's because the word therefore, in English, you can say, if it says therefore, you have to look out for what, why it, what it's there for. Yeah? How many preachers have you heard say that? Now, here's the problem. In Greek, the word's oon. It just doesn't work. If it says oon, you have to work out oon. It doesn't... Doesn't mean anything, does it? So it's merely an English thing that if you happen to be living in Russia and you look for a word therefore, you can't work out what it's there for because it doesn't make. Okay, don't worry. Don't think English centric. The point is that Jesus did something and the grace that God wants to pour out is based on the law of grace, which is a better law than the law of law. Or the rule of grace, which is better rule than the rule of law. And it's based on the fact that, and in Liberty's case, she had two things. She had a lady who was on her side, grace. And she also had the rules right at the last moment in front of loads of people watching her. And because she had learnt the rules, she appropriated the grace in the last moments. Let me just say this. If we don't teach people the rules of grace, many people will not get the grace of God. That's the way life is. 
That's why you have to make disciples. You can't just sit there and go, God is lovely. He is full of grace. So approach the throne of grace and expect people all over the world to suddenly get grace from God. Because they're not going to get it unless they approach him on the basis that it's been given. Does that make sense? That's why we've got to actually teach them. We cannot just sit here and have a nice church. If we don't do something and teach people how to appropriate grace, they won't get it. And similarly, for some of you, there are days when you don't always get grace. And part of the reason is you sit there in a grump. Don't get grace if you sit in a grump. Have you noticed that? If you sit there and say, I'm not going to God and asking him for any help because he never helps me. Even if that's only, you know, you might be a, a, a nice Christian. So if I asked you, what, you know, how do you get God to help you? You might say, well, you pray because of Jesus on the cross. But if actually inside you go, God never helps me. That's not going to appropriate the throne of grace. You have to boldly approach the throne of grace. Because if you don't, it doesn't happen. You have to go... I haven't finished. I'm getting out of the car. I'm walking around again. I want you to help me. Again and again and again. And then it says this in the text, and I love this. It says, boldly approach God, who is like this lady. He has the right to pass you or fail you. Boldly approach him, knowing that he's on your side, knowing that he wants to pour grace into your lap, because then you might obtain mercy. And I was going to do a whole thing about mercy, but Brian did all that. So that's fine. Um, and then it says, and grace, the word grace again. Because, you know, sometimes Christians say grace is undeserved love. Sometimes Christians say grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Isn't that great? Try and translate that into German. I've, I've actually had a really good friend of mine, well-known preacher. He went to Germany and he preached on grace. He preached a, a, something that started in English in G, then something started in English in R, and then something that started in English in A. And I was there three weeks later, and the guy who was leading the church, he said, it was incomprehensible because it was all English. Sometimes we need to think outside our own little box. So... God's riches at Christ's expense, but actually charis, which is the word grace in Greek, simply means gift. That's what it means, gift. Something you don't pay for. Now, charis is going out of fashion. Have you noticed that? Actually, in our society, it is really going out of fashion. For some of you, in your political world, you may really be anti-charis, grace. You might not be. And I might just be about to do something really dodgy because I mentioned the word politics. This is going to affect politics. It's going to affect the way people work together. I run an agency called the Grassroots Trust, grassroots.org.uk. One of the things about the, way, the agency that we run is that we function on the basis of grace, whereas Lots of other development agencies do not function on the basis of grace. There is a big thing in the development world of how you help Africa or how you help India or how you help the poor in the UK down the road from you in Godalming or somewhere like that. There's a big thing which says people don't appreciate it if they don't work for it and pay for it. Therefore, don't give anything to anybody. 
Now, still our society has got a residual grace in it. We still give primary school education to people free. Have you noticed that? Isn't that a terribly good idea? We still give the NHS free at the point of um, delivery, don't we? But there's quite a big push that says we shouldn't do that. People would appreciate it more if they had to pay to go to their GP. Now you're saying, why are you getting into politics? I'm not, I'm just getting into grace. And the reason I'm getting into grace is this, that um, we have grassroots trust. It's not a big agency, we're not enormous, but one of the places we work is Romania. And in Romania, there it, we run a house building program for people who have very, very uh, rough housing. Often it's polythene sheeting stretched over a, a few bits of corrugated iron, stretched over a wood frame in a country which goes to minus 20 for three months a year and rains. It's not like being in a nice kind of subtropical area. It's a pretty rough place to be in the cold and the damp. Most of them don't have any floor, so they're actually lying on pushed down earth. Uh, it's a pretty rough place. Now, there is a middle class in Romania now, but there's quite a lot of peasant class still, and that's what that these are the people that we're helping. Some of them are gypsies, who are even discriminated against by their own local people. But we have a lovely guy called Jakob Merza, who is well into his 70s, and has apparently retired, uh, but actually runs the project management of these ha this house building. And uh, Grassroots raises about 5,000 pounds a go to build one of these houses. They're mostly two-room two houses, kind of kitchen-y bit, and one big room, and sometimes one other tiny room. And they cost about 5,000 pounds a go to build a proper foundation, thermal bricks, proper insulation in the loft, beautiful roof, uh, uh, wood-burning stove, electricity, and uh, you know, on the same plot often that they had their shack, we put one of these houses. And people ask the question, well, how much do the family pay for the house? And the answer is nothing. Now, there are other agencies, who shall be nameless, who go, if you give someone that much stuff, they should pay back over 25 years with a mortgage. That should be the deal, because otherwise they will not appreciate it. If you go to our website this uh, weekend, you will see uh, the, on our latest blog or the Facebook page, you'll see a picture of three of the families that we have raised, well, two of the families we've raised the money, and one we haven't raised the money yet, but ho hopefully we will one, one day. Uh, the 5,000 pounds. 5,000 pounds is not much, is it, for a house? Just, just clarify. And the, the, these families end up in the house. Now, the first family that we've helped this year, they spent a long time asking the builders, who are all Christians from the local churches in Romania, because we haven't got any British people there, because we can't travel. So we did that in the past, we're not doing it anymore, because the Romanians are fantastic. And they've been on site, sharing their life with this family, and one of the family has given their life to Jesus on the basis they never really understood grace before. So when, we, when there was a dedication service, and all the builders and various other people, and the mayor and other people came to a dedication service to the new house, it was also a baptism service for the new believer. Because in my world, to be able to say to somebody, here is a gift, is so ridiculously mad that people begin to ask the question. Actually, our society is still built on it. Primary education, doctor's surgeries. We still don't have to pay for things. We've just given it. Why? Because it works. It works to do mad stuff 
like that. Can I just put it like this? This scripture says that we should approach God on the basis that he will give to us, not on the basis that he will pay us what we deserve. We approach God on the basis that he will be generous to us so that we might receive mercy because he might just decide that he doesn't want to find us guilty and we would receive grace, which is bigger than mercy, which just says, I'm going to give you this. And then it says, so that we might find help in our time of need. Is that what it says up there? It does help in our time of need. Now, the word help uh, is the same word as is used for frapping. Anybody ever heard of frapping? Frapping is a thing a lifeboat has. It's basically the line at the front and the back of the lifeboat. It's a, it's a rope. The word there is basically means that we might receive a rope. Maybe we might say in English, a lifeline. We might receive a rope in our time of need, and time of need is actually all one word, and is a Greek word that some of you will love because you will know it from a multiplicity of different places, and it's eukairos. So it, it's, it's actually kairos with a U at the front, which basically means in kairos. And you're saying, well, what's kairos? Well, there's two words in Greek for time. One word in Greek for time is chronos. If you want to know what time the service starts, it's a chronos. We get the word chronological from it. It means, what time is it today? What time is it tomorrow? It's a precise or imprecise amount of specific time, right? How long will this service last? It's a good question, because I am preaching. Um, so that's about time, chronos. Whereas kairos is another word that is translated time in English, rather like the the time of the dinosaurs, or the time we have to put the climate right. It's an amount of opportunity. It's a, uh, a time, a, a, a space in time, which you might be able to do something in. So you get organizations who call themselves Kairos, which are saying, we've got an opportunity to do something in this space of time in our lives. So here is what God says in this scripture. He gives us this simple thing, which is that we should approach his expecting gift. Gift. Yes, that we might get mercy. Yes, that we might get gift so that we might get a lifeline at the right time, in the moment, in the moment we need it. So they translate it in time of need because they're trying to find a way to say, in that moment we need it. How terrible to get a lifeline just after you need it. You know, I've got loads of people saying, it's all right to be a Christian because we're going to heaven. That might be a bit late for some of the things we need. We need God to work now and then, because that's another opportunity. But many of you, even now, are going, this, you know, my, my daughter didn't need to be failed again. She needed grace then, not tomorrow. It's only a driving test. I know, but it was annoying. And other things like, you know, some of us get terminal illness, so we need to actually be healed before we die. Isn't that important? Well, okay, if you're into raising the dead, let's do the raising the dead. But actually, you either need to be healed before you die or you don't. The time of need is the eukaros. And it's a very strong word in Greek. It means there is a moment 
And if you don't get the help, then you don't get help. Now, you need to know that the Bible teaches that God helps us in the Eucharist. He does. Sometimes it looks like it's too late. And then he just changes the time. I've said this here before, that God doesn't turn up on time. Did you know that? He always turns up just after on time and then changes the time. And you're saying, how do you mean? Well, look at the cross. He had to get off the cross before he died. Isn't that right? But what he actually did is he got off the cross after he died and it stopped mattering that he died. Isn't that true? So it's a, there they are praying, God, do something, send the angels, get him off the cross, get him off the cross, and then he dies, and they're going, oh. And then you have the whole of Saturday, and they're saying, well, it's now too late. God, you have acted too late. And then on Sunday morning, the miracle happens, Jesus rises from the dead, because he had an indestructible life anyway. But they, he gives them a whole day thinking it's too late before he changes the time. The opportunity changed and suddenly it was no longer too late he rose from the dead at the right time even though it was too late by the perception of everybody watching god wants to work in your life you might think it's too late but once he's worked it won't be too late anymore but he doesn't always come and do amazing things in every moment of need and we need to Pray and pray and pray and expect him to do something before it's too late. Or at least do something and change what too late means. Amen? We should be expecting it. Now, I want to say this to you, because I've only got a few more moments. The biggest problem, and it's back to my thing about the buildings in, in um, Romania and in Tanzania and in Zambia, many of you know that we work in Zambia in the same areas, Mechanics for Africa. We took on uh, 50 children and decided to give them school uniform, a meal a week, and a school kit, and some food, and all sorts of other things. And we were working in an area that one of the big agencies had been saying, we're going to give nothing to these families, but we're going to encourage them to get businesses together. We're going to encourage them to get into groups and we're going to give them time and energy to help them get into groups and work together to get themselves out of poverty. And when I arrived in that community where they were saying that, they kept saying, the problem is that might have worked three years ago, but now we've got a drought. I left, came home, and then we had a pandemic. And also, I discovered while the pandemic was going on that just before the pandemic, the corrupt government of Zambia had sold all the food to the Congo because they wanted to make money out of it. That president has now been ditched and they've got a new one. Hurrah. Uh, we're not allowed to make a political statement again, but they have made a deliberate decision to get rid of that way of doing government. Now, how do these children get fed? Well, you could say, Tell the parents to get jobs and work together to get, you know, to build businesses and then they'll be able to feed their children and pay for their children to go to school. The result of that is their children aren't fed and their ch children don't go to school because it takes too long to get a business going in that environment. So we made a decision 
that even though they were working with thousands of children, we would take on 50 and get them into school and they wouldn't have to pay us back. It's quite a big, difficult conversation we've had with the other agency, where we're saying, when they need it, children need it. We need to help them in their time of need, not say to the parents, you've got to earn a living, then you can feed your children and get them into school. I want you to hear this. God is into grace. It's not politically in at the moment. People say you should have to pay to come to a GP. People say you should have to do all sorts of things. But God wants us to give to people generously, and he wants to give to people generously. You say, but Hugo, there's a big problem. Why would God behave like that? Okay, when we talk about it in kind of nice spiritual terms, when we talk about just coming forward to pray, we expect God to just pour out his grace on us. Why would it... But when you start talking about it in practical terms of the way we should live, there's a big problem. If we just give people stuff, some of them will, and this is the big word, some of you will hate this word, waste it. I want you to hear this, that God has a plan to waste more than he uses in every area of life. He wastes more than he uses in every... You know, we might help uh, 50 children in, in Zambia. It's now 200 because we've taken on 150 more without having sponsors because we just think we've got to help more. Um, some of those children will not have the right attitude to really benefit from the education. That's a waste. You go, well, surely you should do something about that. Well, no. I've discovered in the UK there are some children who get primary school education and secondary school education and don't have the right attitude to benefit from it. Or well, haven't you met any of them? But it's still better for our society to just give them education. Just give it to them. It's still better. It works better. We know that because we've done economics. We know it works better to just pour it out and waste some because what doesn't get wasted will be fantastic. If you walk through a woodland around here, I've walked through Bourne Woods recently, you look at the ground. How many fir cones are on the ground? How many of the fir cones become fir trees? What percentage of fir cones become fir trees? Why does God do life like that? Why does he pour out grace? Grace, grace, grace. Not because it matters that every single seed gets there, but because if you pour out lots, they'll all, you'll get some. And I want to say this. There's a book called Drops Like Stars. Have you ever heard of Drops Like Stars? A beautiful book. And in the middle of it, they did, it recounts an experiment which they did with artists. I don't know how many of you are artists. But they got a bunch of artists in one room and a bunch of artists in another room. And they gave this arti these artists some materials and they gave these artists some materials. And they said, you've got two weeks. And this bunch of artists, they said, we want one piece from you and we want it to be brilliant. One piece and we want it to be brilliant. And then this group of artists, do you know what they said to them? They said, we want you to do as many pieces as you can. We don't care how good they are. Anybody guess what happened? There's a brilliant one Almost all these ones produced absolutely brilliant things, and these things weren't that great. 
And the reason was that this time you just experiment, you experiment, you experiment, you experiment, you experiment. And these ones get better and better and better and better because of muscle experiment. There's loads of waste, but you end up with something brilliant. Over here, you say, I'm never going to waste anything. And everything's mean and everything's nasty and everything's tight. And it's harder and harder and harder to do anything. So you want to do something great, waste lots. Because that's how grace works. You say, well, you give them, give them a present, they might waste it. Okay, that's okay. You keep doing that, they'll get the story that you love them. Oh, love, that's a strong word, isn't it? Well, I don't, I, some of you have children. If you don't have children, I apologize for this. Those of you who do have children, did you just lavish love on them? Or did you kind of go, well, please pay for it? You know, I'm not doing this unless you promise today that when I'm old, you'll look after me. Hmm? It, it doesn't always work out, does it? Because some of them are horrible. Let me, let, I want you to imagine something now. Can, imagine a really big bowl of fruit. You know, apples, oranges, grapes. What other fruit do you like? Bananas. Bananas. Keep going. Pears, keep going. Chestnuts. Passion fruit. See this big bowl? Can you see it? It's a massive bowl of fruit. Do you know what this is? It's all seeds being wasted. Isn't it? That's what fruit is. It's seed that didn't become an apple tree. An apple is a seed from an apple tree that didn't become an apple tree. It became fruit. Ah! We wasted it. When you bit into that Braben, you were wasting a Braben tree. We mustn't do that. I think that's the best description of the way God is. He's much more into fruit than we realize. Boldly approach this God who is full of grace. Do you know what he wants to do? He wants to pour into your lap full measure, pressed down and overflowing. Do you know what happens to the overflowing bit? It gets wasted. You'll find waste all the way through the Bible. You'll find it all the way through creation. Jesus preached from this book. Well, he didn't preach from this one. He only preached from the first half. Um, but, well, maybe the two thirds, isn't it? Half of his talks were from the two-thirds of this. What were the other half of his talks from, based on? Anybody know? Creation. Yeah. He talked about seeds and stuff. He's basically said, look at creation. That's God writing another book for you to preach from, to speak from, to understand God from. That's what you're meant to do. When you look at fruit, when you look at squillions of fir cones on the ground, get what God's like. This is what he's like. He is ridiculous. I mean, even, even in the sea, loads and loads of stuff creates, you know, greed. We've tried very hard to kill it all off, haven't we, recently? But that's by the by. We get loads of stuff, and then it all kind of, lots of it gets wasted, but some of it gets through. That's how it works. How many of you have seen the penguin movie? It's very sad, the number of penguins that get eaten by other creatures. 
but still you get lots of penguins. Because that's how you get lots of pe- That's how God does stuff. He's done it with human beings as well. He seems to like lots of us. I'm going to finish now. I do have one thing which I wrote down just before we started, which is almost like a change of subject, but I don't think it is. And it's about this church. And I think God is saying to some of you, particularly as you come to this um, trustee thing and all that malarkey, is I feel that the Lord is saying this, hold the fort, the cavalry is coming. Keep praying, keep being kind, keep believing, keep worshipping, keep the faith, keep the lamp of the church burning, hold the fort, because the cavalry is on its way. If you don't hold the fort, it won't matter that the cavalry gets here. So hold it. You may not feel that you can take it forward massively, but you can hold it. And you can keep it going. But don't hold it because we just have to keep the lamp burning. Hold it because we're expecting the cavalry. We're expecting grace. We're expecting the energy of a new generation. We're expecting the the visionary nature of leadership and thrusting forward. Not just doing what we have done, but the future. Because there is a future. Jesus, is, Jesus could return tonight, but on the basis of scripture, I think that he probably won't. And that we've got to reach the next generation with the gospel, and we've got to find a way to do that. The truth is, though, that looking at the people you've got at the moment, the best thing to do, the right thing to do, is hold the fort. But that won't be worth it if the cavalry isn't coming. So God says to you, by the way, the cavalry's coming. I have no idea how he's com- it's coming, but it's coming. So hang in there until that time when suddenly there is a flow of life and energy and revival amongst you. When it comes, and a few times I've been in the life of a church where suddenly a whole bunch of young people have poured in almost incomprehensibly and people have started becoming Christians and, and it is, it's like, it's a weird experience. In the school I was in uh, when I was a teenager, when I first got there, there were 10 Christians. Uh, in my last year, there was a, out of the 600 kids, there was about 170 Christians, which, if you think percentage-wise, is an awful lot. Many of them are now vicars all over the world and running mission agencies and doing all sorts of other things. Uh, if you asked that uh, CU leader who was a teacher uh, what he did, he'll say, I have no idea. I have no idea. We just kept going. We kept going. We kept praying. I did meet one other person who, in that town, was at university during that time. So he was 22 at the same time. And when I told him that story, he said, what year was that? He said, well, that was the year where I came down and met with a Christian who was a friend of mine who went to the same church and two other people. And... Twice a week, we got together and prayed for your school for an hour and a half that God would move in revival. And it appears to me, he said, looking at the dates, it was the day that I left university and went home that it all started. You can just imagine from his point of view that he's sitting there saying, why couldn't it have started while I was there? Because God always acts on time, which we perceive as just too late. Let's pray.
I'd love to run around the room and ask you all what your time of need is right now. But I still think we should stay a little bit more distant from each other at times. So God is not staying distant. He is coming to you now and saying, what is your time of need that is happening right now? Ask me for grace. Ask me for mercy. Ask me for a lifeline. Boldly ask me. Heavenly Father, we boldly approach you knowing that because Jesus has lived on this earth and understands what it is to be here, he felt it and lived it and has now gone through into the heavens and sits at the right hand of God. Jesus, who is God, human, part of that triune being that sits on that throne. We approach you, God, right now and say, would you please move? Move for this church, move for these people, move for these families, move for these friends who are being mentioned in people's hearts right now. Move. Help us hold the ground where we need to hold it. Help us wait with expectation where we need to do that. Help us experience your grace poured out. We expect you to do that because you've done it for years, you do it in creation, you do it all the time. You pour out extraordinary grace. You don't just pour out enough, you pour out full measure, pressed down, overflowing, poured into our laps. Ridiculous place to pour it. If you're going to pour it, pour it somewhere else. Why into our laps? Lord, thank you that you, you're happy to pour out, because you've got so much, it's okay to waste it all because you know that if we get covered with your grace, we'll get it, we'll be generous ourselves and we'll pour out your grace too. Lord, would you touch us with that message that we would understand the law of grace, that we wouldn't stay earthbound, held down by S-I-N, Sir Isaac Newton's sin, held down by the gravity of trying to get everything to be economically right. We would instead be filled with your grace, the different law that takes us up into the air that is beyond what just holds us on the ground. Lord, would you give us that confidence that when we fly with you, we're just in a totally different set of rules to the ones that all the instructors sitting around are saying that we should live with. Father, I pray for those who have reached that point where they're saying, oh, I can't start another revival right now. I can pray a bit and all the rest, but I'm a bit tired and I'm actually a bit old. Lord, would you pour out your grace on them to hold the fort, to release, to hold the fort for the church, not just for this church, but for all church in this strange time where there seems to be pressure from every side on the church. Would you give them the grace to hold the fort in prayer and intercession and in love and in generosity to their neighbors and friends? Hold the fort, expecting you to come and do something that is extraordinary and over the top. We may feel like a little platoon holding a tiny fort, but there's a major cavalry coming to help us. And you're coming. We might not be able to see you yet because you're still over the horizon, but you're coming and you're going to help us. Lord, amen.